My name is Pastor Dave. I'm glad you're here today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're picking back up where we left off asking together, why does Jesus matter today? Why does Jesus matter today? As we read the beginning of Matthew 6, the first 18 verses, we find that in him we have the Father's attention. We have the Father's attention. I think about fatherly attention. This weekend, I was home with the kids. Christina was uh, off visiting family, helping out with a nonprofit dinner auction event. And uh, so I had the, the blessed joy of being with my, my kiddos. And I am always challenged by Christina, by my wife, because she is so good at giving the kids attention. They have stories to tell about their days, and she can just listen so well to those stories. And I glaze over sometimes too quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm no good at it. But this weekend, I, I was praying. I was hoping that I could faithfully love my kiddos in Christina's absence. Some of you were praying for me to that end, so thank you for those prayers. And uh, I feel like we had a good weekend together, and I'm really thankful. This morning, though, uh, I was just so thankful. Uh, Eden, about probably 5 a.m., comes, comes down to my bedroom. She's woken up. And she's carrying with her her doll. It's a little cow, a stuffed animal cow that she's called Moose Boose. So Moose Boose she brings with her under her arm and she crawls into bed with me. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, I love this girl. She could come to me with anything and I just wanna, I just wanna give myself to her, open arms. It's good. It's good that children want their father's attention. It's good to receive attention. It's one of those kind of needs that we have as human beings to have attention. But sometimes we wonder, is God paying attention to us? We wonder that. Is God really paying attention? I'm sure my kids wonder that about me. Is dad paying attention? But oftentimes we can project our experiences of our own dads we can project our experiences of not receiving answers to prayer, not the answers that we want. And we can sort of wonder if God's just sort of like an inattentive dad. We come to him and he's sort of busy ignoring us, we wonder. Is that what God's like? Well, here's the good news that Jesus is saying to us in this passage. God is always, always paying attention to his children, always. But the challenge, the difficulty that we live in, in this world post-Genesis 3, is that it's in secret. His attention is given to us most often in secret. Jesus says that three times in verses 4, 6, and 18. Your father who sees you in secret, he always sees you. He's always watching over you. But he doesn't always go about making it known in a big, loud way. Well, some of us struggle with that. And so we, we come up with ways to try to get God to pay attention to us because we don't think that he is. We want him to quit acting so secretively. We want him to be more overt. And so we might fall into the trap that the Pharisees fell into, that some of the other first century Jewish people in Jesus' day would fall into. And that's that they would rather than seeking 
even really God's attention. They would just go about their religious ways and seek attention wherever they could get it. And it could move into a sort of hypocrisy, as we'll see in a moment. And there were those who were just faltering, and they doubt that God hears. And sometimes they would just do whatever they could. They'll say, I'll, you know, maybe we do this today. God, I'll do X, Y, and Z if you'll just answer my prayers. If you'll just show up right now in this exact way, I'll do these things. And then we do those things, and then he doesn't show up, and we wonder. He doesn't do the thing that I asked him to do exactly the way I asked him to do it. When I asked him to do it, we wonder, is he paying attention? Oh, he's paying attention, dear one. He is. He is. And before we we dive into this passage and we consider the, the different ways that we might, in our hearts, seek after God's attention, uh, let's just take a moment and pray and acknowledge that God is already here. He's already attending to us. So let's pray. Father, what a gift it is to say, Father. What a gift it is to be related to in love. We're your children. And we just come to you now and ask that you'd speak to us. Remind us that you've never left us, that you've been with us the whole way. For those who maybe don't relate to as father yet, who are wondering about you, I pray you'd draw them home as well today through Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. So a question that many of us might bring to God and to one another is how do we get God's attention? That's the question that the, many of the religious leaders in the first century were asking in a very public way. And their answer to that question, how do we get God's attention, is you make an appearance. You make a big entrance. But Jesus says, watch out for that. Chapter 6, verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness. And here he's talking about the sort of good things we do when we come together in church. The acts of worship, the acts of relating to God, whether that's giving of alms in this case, for the good of the poor around them. That was one thing that they would do together in the first century, just like we seek to do today in church. We give and we seek to give some of that to the good of our neighbor. Whether that's in prayer, whether that's in fasting, whether that's in other ways of coming together in worship. Beware, Jesus says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. What a trap. And no one knows it better than the professional religious person in the front. God help me. Beware. Because if you do that, you'll have your reward. You'll get your attention. And that's the danger, isn't it? You can scratch the itch. Get the attention. But the reward there isn't God. And so, Jesus says differently than the Pharisees. And we'll say, when you give to the needy, go and sound a big horn, make a big entrance. When you fast, look really gloomy and down. Let people know how miserable you are because you're so holy and you're fasting for so long. When you pray, you pray eloquent prayers. Be careful, watch out. Jesus has a different way for us. Our other than uh, Christian neighbors, our, uh, in this case, pagan neighbors, those who would 
belonged to Greco-Roman cults of different kinds, and those were in the land. Caesar had built temples to various gods in the land of Judea, which was a great offense to the Jewish people in the day. But if you went into one of those temples, you would see people offering prayers, very carefully structured prayers. And they would have to do movements. They might take a step this way and say a prayer and then take a step this way and say another word. And they had to get the words just so because then God would bless them with fertility, with provision, whatever God they were praying to at the moment. And so they would babble on. And Jesus talks about this. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do in verse seven. They think that they'll be heard for their many words. I do wanna point out though, Jesus' critique of the Gentiles is much lighter than that of the Jewish religious leaders. At least the Gentiles were actually seeking God. That's a challenge. Just seeking him in the wrong place, through a false means. No, Jesus says, your father knows what you need even before you ask him. Jesus says, You have a good father, dear ones. He is attentive to you. He already knows what you need. He he is already thinking about you. You don't have to worry about whether or not you have his attention. You don't need to work yourself up. You don't have to prove to God how righteous you are. He knows how righteous you aren't because he sees you but he would give you all his righteousness in Jesus. God already sees you. He hears you. He knows you. And he loves to give you good gifts. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. You know, you yourselves, you wouldn't give to your child a, a serpent or a scorpion, right, if they asked for a fish. And how much more does your Father in heaven love to give good gifts to his children. Jesus says, then ask, seek, knock, be asking, be seeking, be knocking. The Lord loves, loves to give good gifts to his children. He's a good father. He's a good father. I think of a time I was in, I think it was, it had to be sixth grade. That's right. It was sixth grade. I was in Mrs. Powell's class. Mrs. Powell is, uh, she's died since. But Mrs. Powell, I remember the first day of class, I come into class I was a goofball. I, I, was, I, was, I was hungry for, a, for attention. And so at one point in the day, I have pencils up my nose, and I'm trying to get a laugh, you know, from my friends. And Mrs. Powell sees me. David, you will see me tomorrow morning before class. Oh, okay. So the next morning I come in before class, Ms. Powell, uh, she, she has me into her room. She welcomes me. She sits down with me at one of the desks. And I remember her saying something like, David, David, I see you. That's probably one of the first times I ever heard someone say that to me. I see you. And I expect more of you. So let's make, let's make a good effort to, to do better from here on. There was this sense that I had that her attention was more valuable than my peers. I didn't feel like that the first day, but from that point on, it would probably wax and wane. I was still a goofball. 
but I didn't need to get attention through pencil-nosed nonsense. What does it matter that God is paying attention to us? Well, there's a few things. First of all, it dismantles pretense, doesn't it, if God sees us? We can't go, out, go off and sound our horns about what holy, righteous people we are because God sees us. He sees you. He sees me. He knows, and he loves us still. A parent changes their child's diapers, watches them grow, sees them every moment of the way, sees their worst teenage folly, and loves them still. God sees you. So we don't need to pretend that we're anything we're not before God. And we don't need to pretend we're anything that we're not before one another. Knowing God is looking upon us dismantles pretense and hypocrisy. It also enables us as his children to wonder at the fact that he still loves us. Remember Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who know God sees them undressed, unrighteous, unholy in all the ways that we are. And yet he still loves us. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They have all. God himself is their reward. He is theirs and we are his. If you wonder today, some of you, how could it be possible that this could be true of you? Maybe uh, you, you've taken a risk to be with us, whether online or, or whether you're present. Someone dragged you to church or you finally came, someone invited you. And you wonder, how could this possibly be true of me? Well, Jesus speaks about this wonder in John chapter one, verses uh, 12 and 13. Just right before that, he says that, Jesus came to his own, and his own didn't receive him. He came to the religious people, <laughs> and the religious people didn't receive him because Jesus didn't play the pretense game. He didn't play the dress-up religious game. But he came to die for the sins of the world. And so, John 1, 12 and 13 says, to all who did receive him who believe in his name. He gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of a man, but of God. If you would receive him as he is, there's no pretense in Jesus. If you'd receive him, the king who came to lay down his life for you, if you would trust in him, trust that he rose from the grave, trust that he's a better Lord for your life than you, You'll be saved. You'll be a child of God. You can look to God always knowing he's looking upon you with a smile who says, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. God sees and knows you. And he loves you. And the invitation today is to have a better question to no longer ask, is God paying attention? <laughs> Though we'll struggle with that question sometimes. But instead to ask, 
Does God have my attention? Am I attending to God, my Father? So how can we live attentively to God? I'm, I'm going to offer six clues from this passage. So uh, if there's one thing that is helpful to you, that's enough today, right? But I'm going to offer six from the passage. It begins with a life before the face of God. Uh, when I was, uh, oh, this had to be about, I was nine or ten, I was playing baseball. And I remember just being nervous when I was up to bat. I would, I would I'd be up, ready to swing, but I would always look over down the first baseline, because when we were home, that was the side that our dugout was, and my dad would be standing right over there. And he was watching as I was up to bat. And I remember one time looking over there, and he's like, David, you got this. And, and then I look over again, he's like, David, I'm, I'm still looking. <laughs> it's okay. You know, because I was like nervous that he wasn't watching or nervous that he'd see me fail. Nervous, right? But dad was watching because he loved me. I know not everybody has that experience of a father. And so maybe as I talk about the fatherly love and attention of God, we struggle with that and we might project onto God a different vision of a father than what he is. The best father on earth is only a, a glimmer a broken mirror image of the pure and true love that we have in the Father God. And he's watching. You don't have to be afraid if he's watching. We begin there. We begin in, a, in, in an old phrase. We begin quorum Deo, and we live every day quorum Deo. That means in the face of God. We live in the sight, before the sight, before the face of God. The theologian R.C. Sproul said that this is the whole Christian life, to live quorum Deo, to live before our Father's gaze. And so, if we're living in this way, what it means is basically we're living in an ongoing prayer. It's that, if, if you've read some of the New Testament uh, a little bit further along in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, Paul talks about praying without ceasing. I think this is sort of what that's talking about, living in a constant awareness that God is looking upon us, that our Father would never leave or forsake us, and that he loves us. He has a better plan for us than we do. So we live in prayer, but we also appoint special times to worship him and to relate to him in prayer. And so um, the first clue is to live quorum Deo, to live before his sight, knowing that the Father sees us in secret. But the second is to keep on practicing righteousness, to keep on these paths of grace, these ancient paths where God promises to meet us. One of the, the dangers of misreading this passage would be to conclude, well, then we should stop giving alms and we should stop trying to pray and we should stop fasting. Abuse doesn't take away proper use. That's an old saying. The fact of the matter is, the Lord does bless these paths when we walk them quorum Deo with him. The Lord will bless you in your giving. The Lord will bless others through your giving. The Lord will bless you and meet you in your prayers. The special appointed times, whether you're praying together in a group or you're praying alone in the quiet, early in the morning, in a special room or a, a special spot. You go down to the basement, you're in the bathroom, wherever it is. 
You're on lunch break. Your father sees in secret and he will bless you there. So we keep watch, walking those ancient paths. I, I want to make a, a quick note on religion. There's uh, been a, a sort of rhetorical statement in the last maybe 20 years, which I think is helpful, and it's meant well, which basically says that uh, religion is bad. There was actually one person about uh, not quite 10 years ago named Jefferson Bethke. He was a young man at the time, 23. He posted a YouTube video called Jesus Hates Religion. It was a spoken word poetry. It's actually really cool. You could go YouTube it later. Jesus Hates Religion. What he was saying was Jesus hates the empty, pretentious way of religion. That's what he was meaning. But what he said was Jesus hates religion. And so many of us might be tempted to think that all of this church stuff in itself is bad. Some people might think that today. That church in itself is pretentious. Sometimes we misuse it in that way, if we're honest. But God has given us means to know him, <laughs> to know we're in his gaze, to know whether or not we're in his will through coming together in worship, hearing his word, praying together. He helps conform our lives to himself as we pray and we fast. He helps use us for his mission as we give. These ancient paths are good. And so I encourage you to hear Jesus' words and even the, the meaning, the intent behind our brother Jefferson Bethke's words when he said Jesus hates religion. But realize that if we throw the baby out with the bathwater, we're going to be in a tough spot. I don't want us to go there. Secondly, on the Lord's Prayer. We, I think we've prayed it once since I've been here uh, together. I, I was at a church previously where that was just a regular thing, and if we didn't do it, it's like we didn't actually meet for church. It's like that wasn't worship if we don't pray the Lord's Prayer. It's kind of a funny thing. The Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, parallel passage where Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. He says, say, our Father. So sometimes it is good and right and obedient to pray the Lord's Prayer the way Jesus taught it. It's a good thing to do. Jesus said, say, our Father. Other times, like here in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, pray then like this. This is the pattern for your prayer. This is the pattern for your prayer. Pray like this, our Father. Sometimes in our prayers, we don't know what to pray. And this old religious prayer <laughs> is a place to go to learn to pray. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, to relate to God as Father, to orient ourselves to his will, to his desires first. Even before that, to his glory, hallowed be your name. And then, having aligned ourselves with his will, asking for the provision that we need so that we could hallow his name, so that we could see his kingdom come in our life and around us. We pray for daily bread. We pray for forgiveness and hearts of forgiveness to our neighbors. We pray for deliverance, for integrity. Last quick note, you might notice that in uh, modern English versions, thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever isn't there. It's because it probably wasn't there in the original, but folks started saying it as they worshiped together because they would say the prayer that Jesus taught them to pray, and 
It just seemed right to end a prayer that way. Thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. And after you say a prayer enough times, it just seems like it belongs there. And so it wound up in some ancient manuscripts. Now you know. But these ways, these religious ways, are ways of attentiveness to God, and I hope we won't abandon them. Thirdly, third clue, first clue, quorum Deo, second clue, keep practicing righteousness, quorum Deo. Thirdly, when we have needs, we remember that God wants us to come to him. C.S. Lewis would call this uh, need love. You know God doesn't need you He doesn't need me. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. He is entirely self-sufficient and independent of everything. And yet, yet he cares for you. And he loves it. He's honored when you come to him in your needs. Just like I'm honored when Eden comes to bed with Moose Boose. Go to him, ask, seek, knock. It honors the Lord. Fourth, remember, remember, as I said, the Lord doesn't need you, but he will use you. This is the amazing thing. It's like the other day I made pancakes with Eden. She was home with me. The other kids are at school. And as we're making pancakes, I have her um, mix together the stuff in a bowl I have her help me pour out the batter in the pan. I didn't have her flip it yet because it's hot and I don't know that she was quite ready for that. But she helped me make those pancakes. And if anybody came over, I would have said, Eden, help me make these pancakes. Now, I won't tell her this. I didn't need Eden to make the pancakes. But I'm delighted, delighted to have her make those pancakes with me. The Lord is delighted to see you on his mission for his glory, seeking his kingdom and his will in this world. He's delighted. He doesn't need you for it, believe me. And he'd probably do better without us. But he delights as a father to use you and me, crooked instruments in his plan. Fifth, Watch out for unforgiveness. The one thing that Jesus takes time to comment about in his prayer was this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, those who owe us. Jesus comments, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We have lost sight of God bringing it back to Coram Deo, we are losing sight of God when we are not forgiving. We have been forgiven massively, continuously. And we are forgetting what kind of a God we serve, the one whose face that we look to and live before. We are forgetting who he is when we fail to forgive. And in fact, If we walk in unforgiveness long enough, it betrays the reality that we don't actually know God. That we aren't really forgiven. That's a scary thought. But I invite you in the Father's presence to let him soften your heart. You have 
really hard things on your, on your mind, on your heart, in your life. Forgiveness is not easy. Look to the Father. He did not spare his own son to forgive you. He would give you all things. That's his heart toward you, toward an enemy like you and me. And so looking to him, I pray that we might find hearts to forgive. Number six, when we're tempted to violate the love of God and neighbor, when we're tempted to wander, the Lord wants us to pray. You know your days and you know your path. This is where a prayer like the Lord's Prayer, learning to pray then like this can be helpful. Beginning your days and at significant moments in the day, Lord, deliver me. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me, Lord. Deliver me. Because you know the points in your day when you're gonna be tempted. You know the sort of ruts. It's like an old dirt road with wagon wheels and there are ruts in the road. Maybe you've put ruts in your road where you're consistently wandering into temptation and you keep going down the road. You see it coming. Pray, Lord. Father, I know you're there. Deliver me. Deliver me from this evil. Protect me. And he will give you what you need every provision. And he will love you even after you walk down that road again. Jesus paid for it. But he has something better for you. And you'll only know it if you live Coram Deo. So, Jesus invites us to attend to God. To know that we don't need to worry about whether God is attending to us because he is a good good father. If you want to put that slide up, summing up, he is a good, good father, always paying attention to us. And so we don't have to to worry. We're his children. Uh, There was a moment when I was dating Christina. It was a few months before I proposed to her. We were still in college at the University of Missouri, and there's this field called Stankowski Field. We were playing Frisbee out there. It was right before the end of uh, the the fall semester. And as we're out there playing Frisbee, we finished up our finals. This is kind of a last raw time together. We're we're out there having fun. And Christina's pretty good at at ultimate Frisbee. And so she's having a good time. But there's a moment when I see her face and I think, oh no. Because she had this look. And it just looked like she was angry at me, like she was disgusted with me or something like that. What it was, though, was she's playing Frisbee. She's not thinking about me right now. She's, she's thinking about playing Frisbee. It's, it's the resting face. Have you ever heard a resting face? It's kind of what I see from, from a lot of you guys. Most days, I'm like, are they angry at me? I don't know. But, you know. Uh, but, but, but so Christina, she, she has this look. And I, right after this look, I, I actually wind up leaving the field. I just let it get to me. I'm just like, oh, no, it's over. And so I go home. I'm moping. My friend Joel, I call Joel, and he's, he's like, David, have you even talked to her? You know, you know, how do you know it's over? 
okay. So I, you know, I talk to her, and she assures me, David, David. Sometimes when we don't get what we want from God, and it can be really earnest goods, when, when God doesn't answer our prayer to deliver a friend from a disease, when, when God doesn't remove us from a really tough situation at work, he's just not taking it away. There can be really good things we ask God for. And we feel like we get resting face, like we get nothing. And sometimes we can wonder, is this over? Is God done with me? Is God even there? Maybe you felt that way. Even the most earnest believer can feel that way sometimes. You know, Jesus, Jesus in the garden, he was praying, Lord, if you would take this cup from me. The Lord didn't take the cup from me. He says, oh, but your will be done. And then on the cross, Jesus crying out, he says, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? He didn't get an answer. It was just darkness. And then he died. But God's word over him hadn't changed. My son in whom I'm well pleased. And God would raise him up. What I'm saying is this. When we wonder why God doesn't answer, why God doesn't deliver us immediately from suffering, why God doesn't do the things that we ask him to do in prayer sometimes. God has answered that question, but it wasn't with a textbook answer. and It wasn't with the answer perhaps that we were looking for. His answer was Jesus Christ. Jesus came to live and to die, to suffer for you and for me. So that when we feel and wonder, is God even there? Does God even care? We can know he does. He would not spare his own son. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this proves God's love. He is a good father. He always attends to you. He'll never stop. We don't know why certain things happen. I can't answer those things. I don't have a Bible passage on it. I know that God is good. That he's a father who cares for us till the end. He'll never leave or forsake us. So I invite you to know that. Faith Church, I invite you, friends and neighbors who may wonder about God, I invite you to to risk a step of faith, to receive Jesus, to walk with him. I invite you guys to keep seeking to walk these ancient paths of grace, worship, reading God's word, praying, fasting, giving, These are the ways where God meets us and where God uses us for his kingdom and his glory. So, why does Jesus matter today? He matters because he invites us to know God's fatherly care. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you attend to us. Right now, we just pause for a moment and we acknowledge that you're there. We we pray in our hearts, our Father, We love you, Lord. Amen.